infinite number of multiverses with different possibilities. Comics Paradox proudly presents Superman Secret Identity or something. You can't have a multiverse in a, in a world. It would, it would be a world in a multiverse. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. And we all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. <laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. The Dorkening and all affiliated shows are not intended for anyone under the age of 18. The following may contain discussions or scenes that have adult situations, graphic violence, nudity, strong sexual content, and graphic language. This show is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Yeah! <laughs> um, no, should have wrote something a... down, asshole! Yeah, I, like I said, I should have fucking written something down! Um, no, sorry, I, that's I the only say, cuff I got. I, know, I can say, um, <laughs> but this is this is comics paradox. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, comic book stories that um, deviate from what we know to be the norm, and that is to say, uh, whatever the storylines that have been established, primarily starting off with uh, Marvel and DC, the big two, as as they are colloquially known. Uh, we are we are looking at to start what ifs from Marvel Comics and Elseworlds from DC Comics, both dealing with uh, you know the the path less taken. Uh, what if this had happened? If only this had happened. Those kinds of scenarios. Uh, and tonight, what we'll be talking about is a story from DC Comics. Uh, it's uh, sort of a quasi Elseworlds. It does it doesn't hold the official Elseworlds label, but it very well could have and probably should have, especially for the time that it came out. Uh, written by Kurt Busiek and uh, illustrated by Stuart Imonen. Uh, the name of the story is Superman's Secret Identity, uh, which deals with the idea of a young man in our world, um, we could effectively call it Earth Prime, where Superman, uh, The Flash, Batman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman are all uh, DC comic book characters. They've had comic books and cartoons and movies, uh, all, all that fun stuff. Uh, and presumably, 
there would be other things like Marvel comics in this world and all kinds of different movie franchises like Indiana Jones and Star Wars, so on and so forth. Uh, so this is just a normal kid from a, from a normal earth uh, whose name happens to be Clark Kent from Pickettsville, Kansas. And the reason he's named such is because his parents thought it would be funny to name their kid Clark because their last name was Kent. And he's teased pretty fair, like pretty regularly because of it. Cause I mean, that's just like heroin to a bully. And uh, well, one night he, uh, he goes out in one of his, one of his little, you know, sort of solitude camping trips. Uh, he likes to keep to himself a bit. And he has a, a nightmare uh, that he he says he normally has. He has a tendency to type up his uh, his journal entries instead of writing them down. We see those throughout the comic book and the little uh, yellow squares squares within the panel, uh, acting as our narration. And when he awakes from this dream where everyone is grabbing at him and trying to like get a piece of him, he's like, "Oh, I was just tangled up in the sleeping bag." Whew. That was scary. And then he looks down and realizes that he's floating about 150 feet in the air. And it's at that moment he realizes that he has somehow manifested all of Superman's abilities. Dun, dun, I like, dun. I like um, the part where you were talking about the bully and how like that's like fodder to the bully. They're like, oh, or like heroin to the bully. And, and the funny thing about this is that both the jocks... And the nerds from the nerd table both read comics in this. Yeah, I that's one of the things I noticed right away. I was like, you know, for a fucking football jock calling out this this kid named Clark Kent because he's named Clark Kent, he knows an awful lot about the villains and characters from Superman. Like, oh, what's the matter? Are you gonna, gonna go up against what? What is it? Uh, secret plans from Luther? Or you worry about Metallo coming at you with his yeah, exactly. heart? It's like. <laughs> Dude, what you about to fucking lay down issue numbers for us too, asshole? <laughs> like, yeah, I think so. I think the next thing he's gonna do is complain about CGC grading. Oh, let's go. As you everybody, do. <laughs> everybody complains about CGC grading. Oh god, yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for for all we know, he was gonna he was gonna start complaining about like all the inking from like a lot of Kirby's old stuff. <laughs> like I tell you. They hadn't had that guy in Marvel ruin so many things. Well, hold on, this is a DC book. Oh, sorry, sorry. Metallo, yeah. <laughs> that's oh, that's a beautiful shot right there. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of that. Like a lot of really good scenery pieces in this. Like the environment really plays a role, like a, a central character role in this. Yeah, and it's 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 very cool too because they were going for uh not just the the story in and of itself, but Stuart and Monin's edition uh, visually, it really grounds this rather fantastical tale. Like, I mean, just think like a kid named Clark Kent gets Superman's powers. It's a little, seems like a silly premise, even within the confines of comic bookdom. Uh, but the way he illustrates it in the, in the coloring, the colorist, I don't know who the colorist was for this, but it's, I mean, it's all so beautifully rendered that it's it rings true there's nothing that's garish but it's also not like gritty for the sake of trying to drive home realism i mean this is the kind of thing that truly like and i'm not trying to like ruffle any feathers here but the the realism the quote realism approach the gritty approach that was taken by Zack snyder with something like man of steel this is probably a much better template for the kind of look that they really were trying to cultivate with that movie. 
because there's not a single part of this comic when you read it, especially after Clark decides to don the Superman costume. Uh, th there's no part of it that that looks um, out of place. You know, it 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 works for for a comic book as a comic book reader, a longtime comic book reader. But if you didn't read comic books regularly, this wouldn't seem like a silly, goofy story to you. It, yeah, it, definitely not. I mean, it, it's. It's got so many aspects there. Like you were, you were calling it out before. It's it's got the makings of a love a love story, or like that romantic aspect. It's a coming of age tale. It's a you know how do you deal with the changes that you have going on in your life, and then how do you deal with the pressures of becoming an adult and trying to balance the different things that you have going on. There's there's a lot of balls in the air here. Yeah, and I think I think it really. Uh holds a good parallel to the, the the actual comic book character of Superman uh, regarding how Clark Kent uh, Prime, I guess we could call him here, uh, Clark Kent Prime, how he is trying to navigate the idea of having these abilities and whether or not he should tell anybody or keep it a secret and what that means for his life. Um, so he finds himself at a similar, I don't want to say the same, but a similar crossroads that dc clark kent found himself in um depending on which version as you read you know or or, or seen maybe it's superman the movie or maybe it's man of steel uh, superman the man of steel by john byrne whatever uh but it comes to a point where clark you know either like loses one or both of his parents or he just comes of age and he's like it's time for me to go find my place in the world and this kid he he actually realistically I think he is spinning a, a, a Peter Parker plate uh, for a little bit because not that he's getting big headed necessarily he's he's actually doing all the right things with these abilities but he is legitimately you know kind of leaning towards like maybe I should I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal myself I'm gonna I'm gonna let this reporter I've been kind of talking to and telling my story about like you know how this is weird and it's new to me but I'm trying to do the right thing and maybe I can buy my parents a house and you know he's just got all these all these big ideas with what he can do by by showing himself to the world not the least of which is you know finally impressing the girl he likes to the point where she'd be like of Clark of course I'll date you Clark you know but you know it, it's it's just interesting to see that it could have it could have very well gone the other way for him in this story. He, he could have said, Oh sure. Let me, let me go on, on, you know, whatever CNN or CBS and, you know, show everybody who I am and what that would have meant for the world and his family and him, you know, the government would have come at him hard, I'm sure. Um, and instead he, he walks away and it actually gives him a, a valuable lesson because the reporter who he catches trying to sneak a, a photo or video of his face while he's visiting with her, uh, she just snaps because of the, that taste of, of professional success, like nationwide, worldwide success as a journalist was right there. And she ends up causing it, purposely like causing a huge, huge, massive explosion for the gas main in the middle of Pickettsville while they're having a Halloween celebration for the town and numerous people die. Clark is there. He dressed up as Superboy for Halloween, his plan being to reveal who he really was. And as soon as all of it starts, he actually just goes into full on protection mode and does everything he can as fast as he can. So no one sees him to save as many lives as possible. And, uh, 
as he goes along, the, the very last person he manages to save is the girl that he's liked the entire time, who actually is the girlfriend of the guy that picks on him regularly. And instead of, uh, instead of holding this humongous weighted beam over his head with the greatest of ease in his ill-fitting Superboy costume, uh, everyone sees him and goes, you know, uh, goes gate mouth. And instead of, of just being like, yes, I'm Superboy. Ha ha. He's like, ha ha ho. And plays it off like in classic Clark Kent fashion and makes it seem like he was just balanced and drops it down. He's like, can someone get this off me, please? And manages to cover his identity. <laughs> Has his photograph taken holding the beam over his head, wearing a Superboy costume placed on the the front page of a newspaper which you know that story was like this kid named clark kent saved this girl from this explosion (laughs) and still nobody was like oh that's probably him (laughs) hiding in plain sight and and that becomes kind of a reoccurring theme throughout the book as it goes on and um the interesting thing i like about this something that you kind of touched on it seems like they make a lot of different choices from say the show smallville where you know he could have gone one way and ended up with his own Scooby gang and stuff, but that didn't happen here. He chose anonymity, and he figured out pretty early on how he could stop this as as the hoax, and he did that pretty quick because he's a sharp guy. So you know, but he didn't end up with like the Flash gang, the Scooby gang, the Buffy gang, anything like that. He said, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep it quiet. That way, I can do what I want, and I don't have to worry about it. And all I have to do is watch out for these government uh, creeps." Yeah, I mean, it, it it takes away from, uh, for lack of a better term, it takes away from the specialness of what the character's going through if they do have a, a couple of, like, peers that they're able to just, like, run to and talk to about all of this stuff. I mean, Smallville's a, a fun enough show, but that definitely, like, that aspect, the, the Freak of the Week, Scooby Gang thing, I mean, it became so formulaic and so tropey that it really distracted from the story overall that they were trying to tell. Here, Kurt Busiek, I think he's wise to bring have the character himself bring up the fact that like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, uh, he's not envious of anything that uh, you know the Superman from the comics has powers or, or or you know job anything along those lines, but. He really wishes that he had uh, a Pete Ross or a Lana Lang. And by the time it gets to that point where the reporter, you know, goes full like, you know, Elijah Price on everybody's ass, um, he's like, you know what? Uh, probably for the best that I don't have really close friends because this is the kind of thing that could get them hurt or killed. And uh, honestly, by the end of it, too, he's like, you know, because of the newspaper thing. I was able to kind of like engage with people a little bit more and they were a little nicer to me. And, uh, you know, I wasn't quite so lonely after that. And that's, that's, that's great because, you know, really Clark Kent was supposed to be that guy that was affable and no one really like looked twice at, but they'd still be like, Oh, Hey Clark, how you doing, bud? All right. Catch you later. And, uh, that's really how it, it finished out for him. So instead of getting like the widespread notoriety that he was envisioning, uh, he actually just ended up connecting uh, on a more personal level with the people that he was surrounded with on a daily basis, which I think is far more important because ha- being as separated as he f- he was and felt during all that time, if that continued, he may have ended up being a really bad dude. 
I'm going to use a big word here. So um, for our listeners who are just starting out, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to use a, a $12 word, but um, did you, did you uh, consider the juxtaposition here of the fact that Superman in the regular DC universe is the more successful of them where you have Superman and Clark Kent, where in this one you have Clark Kent who is really successful in book after book and writing and lectures and things like that, where Superman is his alter ego, i.e. secret identity, and he's just keeping that part of himself secret. And he's not getting kind of like the like the Jones for like the fame and stuff like that, and he's not getting that sort of notoriety. He gets all of that from his professional career, which is a complete deviation from what we see in the comics normally. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, one of the best things about it is the fact that he takes that suit and instead of, instead of like the juxtaposition, just like you said, uh, the, the popular opinion, I don't agree with, but the popular opinion, is, is, thank you very much, Quentin Tarantino, is that Clark Kent is the, the disguise, you know, that Superman is who he is and Clark Kent is his like view of humanity. They're weak and they're, they're bumbling and that uh, anybody who's ever read a fucking Superman comic book and actually like, like Superman knows how much bullshit that really is. Um, Clark Kent is who Clark Kent is. Superman is just Jonathan Kent and Martha Kent's morals given superpowers. Like that's it. Um, did you guys notice Kurt Busiek on this page, by the way? Yeah, right there. <laughs> I believe that's him. That so. makes sense. That's pretty cool. I, I don't think I ever realized that. I've read this numerous times. <laughs> it, it, it's either him or uh, uh, Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> He's way too thin to be. Yeah, I was going to say, at the point in time this was made, that is not yeah. Kevin Smith. Uh, um, but... He's like, nurse, I would like more um, Cheddar Bay Biscuits, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, the the thing with uh, with Clark and Superman though, I mean, it's just fantastic that di- you know Prime Clark here, he uses that costume not just because it's like oh you know it's 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 big and blue and it's Superman. It's because if people see him save them with his powers, and then they try to tell people like Superman saved me, he flew down, scooped me up, we flew into the air, and then he put me on the ground. They'd be like, ha you're insane. <laughs> no one would believe that. And I mean, I love Superman too. And if somebody told me that, I mean, I, I would probably think that they were, you know, a couple, couple, you know, cards short of a deck myself. Um, but yeah, he starts working as a, he's a writer. He's not a journalist. So he, he, he writes pieces for a metropolitan newspaper. And then his buddies from the bullpen, they, they ask him to come out uh, for beers and a burger one night. And then like, oh, good, she's here. Hey, Lois, meet Clark. And in walks a, a beautiful Indian woman. And she's just like, you guys fucking suck. <laughs> and just like turns around. And uh, Clark is just like, real nice, guys. You guys are all a bunch of children. And runs out after. She's like, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm really sorry." And she's like, "Yeah, whatever, Dick." And he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, <laughs> no!" Like, "Hi, I'm Clark, Clark Kent." And she's like, "Oh, I'm really sorry." Yeah. Uh, and they they exchange like you know kind of kind of war stories. Like uh, Clark mentions he's been set up with uh, eighteen different Loises, seven different Lanas, and a Cat Grant. To which Lois says, "Cat Grant, is that a Superman thing?" And he says, I mean, I guess so. My college roommate thought it was hysterical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. But uh, they they just kind of chat, and it's very genuine. And you know, they have that shared point of I guess trauma, you could call it. And uh, they decide to to actually just go get something to eat because that's the reason they were meeting up anyway was so everyone could have dinner. And uh, you know, Clark meets Lois. It's 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 very cool. It's it's uh it's very good meet cute in the story. And um, as Clark is writing about what it's like meeting her and spending time with her, uh, you can see that he's just become totally and completely enamored of her. And it's 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 really sweet and it, it's very believable. It's the first character in this besides his parents that he's actually been able to connect with. Yeah, and I wouldn't even I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say that he necessarily connected with his parents. You know, it's just like he didn't feel connected to anybody for a long time. Uh, and, and I think his parents had that hokey Midwestern thing to, pulled to an extreme, and he was just so fucking over it that <laughs> combined, like combined with you know when you combine his name as the joke that they've been telling his entire life, and the fact that he was a teenager, I mean, like <laughs> that's a big chip on the shoulder. Um, so I, I would actually, I would actually say Lois is the first real connection. Uh, that we've seen him make, like someone who he actually wants to be around, uh, which, as we go along the story, kind of like makes him feel a little weird and uneasy because he's not used to that, uh, and he he starts having thoughts about like what do you know? I've been in relationships, but this has never really come up. What do I do about being Superman and telling Lois? And it's it's uh, it's really cool to see how he kind of like works through that, as well as dealing with other issues like getting grabbed by the government when they stage an accident, and finding out maybe he's not quite as invulnerable as he thought he might be. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a frightening sort of uh, visage here, very reminiscent of uh, Wolverine from the Weapon X miniseries, right? So uh, the, was it William Mensner Loeb's, or was it or? I can't think of who did the uh, the art on that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's right. Yeah, but uh, man, it's no no Luke Skywalker vibes in Bespin or not? Bespin. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I guess if you if you really like Star Wars, there's absolutely that because he's he's sitting there kind of. Like, I just don't recall Luke being as naked as as uh, you know Clark was. In this. Well, I guess you weren't looking hard enough, were you, no. Justin? No, I wasn't. <laughs> Uh, I, I get a lot of what you guys are talking about, and, and I definitely felt as reading this, you know, his the constant theme is his loneliness, you know, um, and, you know, Lois being the first person that he really had a chance to talk to, because that was the whole thing in the beginning is, you know, he, he wanted to find out how he got his powers and he has nobody to talk to. He doesn't even turn to his parents. Uh, he yeah. just, you know, goes out into the woods and yeah, the, the most interaction we see him have with his parents really is, I mean, aside from them giving him fucking hokey ass, uh, like Superman presence, yeah. uh, was him kind of like pressing them when he first got his powers to try, try and see if he could like figure out if he had been adopted yeah. and he, he walks away. He's like, I, I genuinely have no idea if they're being yeah. coy or if they just like have, they just really have no idea that I'm trying to like, you know, get this info. Like maybe, maybe they, they're just like completely stupid. <laughs> like, I honestly think that they weren't thinking anything of it, I, the, especially the way the mother was talking. Like, I don't know if I were adopted, I don't know if I'd want to know. And that could be taken two ways. You could read that two ways. Um, I know that the inspiration for this was, uh, 
Superboy Prime from Earth Prime during Crisis on Infinite Earths, and you know that character, he uh, <laughs> he he was. It's weird. Like he actually was from Krypton. Turns out Krypton was like really a place, but it was like another dimension, not like a, just another planet. And he was he was like transported to that Earth when Krypton was about to be destroyed. So. There's like a, a slight differentiation in, in Superboy Prime's origin as opposed to like Superman as we know him in DC Comics. Uh, the thing about this, and you know, you don't have to, you don't have to get to the very end of the book to, to know this. Uh, there's never an explanation really given for why he develops these abilities. What? Uh, say what? Say what, girlfriend? And they allude to some things, but they're not going to tell you. Yeah, like it could have been this. It could have been that. Uh, one thing's for sure, there is no kryptonite. Um, but when the when the government grabs him, uh, you know he he is able to have uh, needles in you know placed in his skin. Uh, he can have his hair cut and what have you. So they are able to grab him using this electrical blast uh, that that knocks him for a loop. And then they are probably just giving him inhuman amounts of uh, sedative to keep him in the, the Bacta tank there. And um, apparently he acclimated to it or they didn't adjust it properly. And he ends up waking up and breaking out and then it looks around the facility that the U S government has him locked up in. And it is fucking horrendous on like a Yosef Mengele scale. It, it's I mean, like a project Cadmus sort of thing. Oh, man, I, Project Cadmus would be a vast improvement, I think, because, I mean, you, 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 they did such a good job with the visuals on this, um, just the psychology of it by showing you the tagged feet of of corpses, like you don't see the the full, the full like array of what could have been done or what happened to these these bodies they have there, but there is a number of them, and then the kicker. All together for Clark is like it's bad enough that there are this many dead people here. Then he looks over and sees a, and we see just the feet and legs of the corpse of a young baby, and Clark loses his fucking shit and just burns the place to the fucking ground, but still saves every single person who was assigned inside of that building. Does not let a single person inside die. Leaves them. A safe distance away from the burning and then fucking takes off um it's just you know it's a it's a real wake-up call for him and uh maybe he's not gonna be able to be as uh footloose and fancy free as he once was you know not not quite the the cat and mouse game that he had envisioned it being this entire time up to this point i have to say that the writing in this story is just friggin' fantastic um the the author and i forgot his name um, kurt, kurt busiek kurt busiek uh so within this this scene here you know you, you definitely for me it definitely evoked you know uh the horrors of what he could be going through you know just uh like an alien aut autopsy or whatever you know yeah type of thing. and um, monan's use of color throughout the entire thing really drives that home too yeah the grays and everything i i know exactly the alien that's a perfect perfect uh comparison i think it's like you said before there's nothing that is garish or flamboyant about the colors too they're all subdued you know you you have like like some sort of pastels so it, it reminded me a little bit of like um you know like a tim sale and uh jeff Loeb sort of story too 
like just uh, the really sort of subdued with like lots of grays, tons of, of blues and it's, and everything is light, light shaded, you know, even the fire is like, Oh, this is kind of like dull. So yeah. it's, it's, um, it's like the colors are very much a storyteller here too. For sure. Well, yeah. yeah. Even the contrast, the fire against the night sky. I mean, think you think if you look at the center of that that's that is that one page is that a splash? Yeah, I think it is. Um, if yeah, if you look at the if you look at the center of that, right where Clark is walking while while taking the the unconscious gentleman away from the building, you actually see how the light is touching all of the ground, and how it's more intense the light being cast right there in the middle, and then fades to the sides. You know, it, it's exactly it's exactly what a flame would look like in real life. You know, there's 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 nothing there's nothing more bombastic than that fire in the entirety of what you're looking at. And we are watching a naked Superman save the lives of people who are who are ready to dissect and destroy him for the sake of quote unquote science. You know, and he's floating, by the way, because that's snow, right? Is it snow? It's I, I wasn't sure if that was snow or something else, but it's, I thought it was grass, honestly. I, I thought it was grass too. Is it, it was, could it could it have been close of uh and that's Mark that's Mark Wahlberg right there if you look at that face. Like that is absolutely Mark Wahlberg right there. He's yeah. like, Hey, say hello to your mother for me. I'm <laughs> I'm Superman. <laughs> What's going on? I got superpowers over here. <laughs> I think I got myself a superpower. <laughs> no but um maybe that is grass but i i was just noticing that there was no footprints like he wasn't leaving anything behind and all that so if i i thought that was snow but you could be right i think if there were snow we'd see more of it like on on top of the trees and tree branches and and that's the thing because of the color i assume that was snow that's fair i mean that's that's okay there are no wrong answers (laughs) you know um but you know that that whole ordeal Clark was was there for four days, you know, and he's lucky because they 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 nabbed him on a Friday, so he only had to explain the the Monday when when he called into work. Uh, he you know played it off as like he had to rush home. One of his parents was sick or whatever, um, but it's really caused him a lot more anxiety regarding uh, Lois being in his life, especially. He he doesn't know. He's worried for himself, of course, because of what he just went through. But like his whole attitude, and this is very much a Superman attitude. Like I can take, I can take it, I can handle it. But I can't let them do anything to the people I care about, which of course is is pretty much just Lois. Um, and he never really says anything but like, "Oh, what if they go after my parents?" It's always just like, "What if they come after Lois?" It's like, "Yeah, fuck my pod. Yes, good job, Clark. Good, good one, CK." Um, <laughs> but he he becomes a lot more savvy. Um, he he stops going full bore into situations he he takes a second to really assess everything and he's been able to determine whether or not things are are you know genuine issues that that need attention or if the government's trying to stage things to try to get at him again and uh, i do like at one point he's like yeah if i notice it's them i'll I'll do enough to make sure that no one gets really hurt but then i'll leave because if they fucking caused it they can take care of it you know and I, I get that because that is actually also a very Superman attitude. Like, oh, you want to you want to play stupid games? Here you go. Here you win stupid prizes. Here you go. 
Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, and and now you get to the part where he's about ready to expose his life to Lois, and you're like, all right, how's he going to do this? I have never seen a superhero reveal that has been kind of the equal of this one. I think it's just it's got that romantic aspect to it. Like he doesn't he doesn't assume that she's stupid. He assumes that she's smart. So I think he's going about it in just like the right way because him doing and, and you'll explain it in a minute. So I, I'll just explain my uh, opinion on it. Um, you know, he goes about showing her, but he's showing her that he also respects her intelligence enough as well. So, yeah, uh, he I mean, right before the point where he reveals that, you know, who he is or what he can do, rather, uh the whole back and forth in his own head about this is like he's been avoiding Lois. He, he kind of snaps at her and kind of he, he has a book deal that he's working on. And she's like, you know, and she's awesome. She really is. She's like, you can do it. You know, you can you can be nervous, but no writer's block, Clark. And uh, he's like and, and reasonably reacts with. Oh yeah, well maybe I shouldn't spend so much time with you, and I can focus on my work, man. And then just like leaves, and then doesn't speak to her for days, like a fucking idiot. And uh, so he shows, he finally shows up at her apartment, and he's like, doesn't know what he's gonna do. Like, uh, am I gonna completely break it off with her? I miss her so much. I don't want to do that, but I want to keep her safe. And as soon as she like, oh, he's about to leave her apartment. He's got a picnic basket and stuff, and she, you know, he's just like, oh, I'm just gonna go. She opens the door and. He's like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I've been around and I've been a jerk. I uh, just, um, I kind of wanted to come by and say I'm sorry. And he didn't even like finish. She was like, "Is that a piss- picnic basket?" And he's like, "Yeah." And she's like, "Is there cake?" And next thing you know, they're having a picnic, <laughs> which I, just, I thought that was so cool. Like that's, that's exactly like my wife is very similar. Like, do, you, do you have cannolis? <laughs> you know, and uh. The fact that they go up there and they they just have a nice time and by the time like just being around her puts him at ease and he starts to forget all of that anxiety that he's been feeling and that's his answer like that's the thing I really love about this scene is he's still so nervous about what the end of this exchange could be that in the midst of it he has that epiphany that that realization where he's like. This is this is it. This is it right here. I haven't worried about anything at all in the entire time I've been with her. I'm gonna tell her now. And the way I mean it's just so cool. He he picks her up and she's like, Oh yeah, you're so strong, Raheem. And he's like, No, 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 unbutton my shirt. And she does, and he's got the Superman costume on underneath it. And you know for a split second, she's like, Oh, he's completely fucking insane. <laughs> and you know, she's kind of like you know, busting his chops about it. And he's just like, uh, Lois, look down. And at that point she does and realizes that they're floating about, you know, probably 200 feet over the roof that they were just standing on and looking out over the entirety of New York city. And, uh, it's, it's something to behold. I mean, just to, just to think about what it would be like realistically to, to float (laughs) holding someone. And it gives you this scope just, I mean, it's it, it seems narrow because of the size of the panel, but it's so beautifully rendered in the detail to to show the wide expanse of this hugely populated area from this particular angle, and and know this powerful being is there, but he's still just the smallest figure alongside one other person in the entirety of that one drawing. You know, if you didn't pay a lot of attention to it you'd think they were part of the city and world themselves, which I really enjoy because it's for the first time 
Clark feeling like he's part of the world. That has not been something that he's gotten from any other connection or relationship he's had. And this is the beginning of that that newfound um, relationship with with not just a person but humanity in general. I, I really like how that that puts it forward there, and what we see coming from it is just everything that you could possibly want good to have happen to anybody, let alone a Superman character. Yeah, see, he he does he does do the the can you read my mind moment with her. Uh, thankfully, there is no actual can you read my mind uh, <laughs> recited or written. Uh, and, and for anybody that doesn't understand that reference, I mean when Superman, played by Christopher Reeve, flies yeah. around with Margot Kidder. This and, is exactly what I thought of in this scene. So. Yeah, <laughs> and, but the the best the best part about it was, like I said, there was no can you read my mind. Uh, I'm a fool. Like, yeah, you are a fucking fool, Lois. Shut the fuck up. Uh, the, Would you look the, at me quivering <laughs> like a little girl shivering? Oh, my God. <laughs> what, but the exact opposite in this, Clark, you know, we're getting the narration from him. He's typing it all up in his journals over the years. Um, and he says the entire time she she didn't say a word. You know, she just she was there with him and I think part of it is because she understood like she was seeing something that only he had ever seen that way before. And he was sharing that all with her. You know, that's, that's a big deal. And, uh, you know, I think they played it very well within the, the confines and context of this story. Um, the, the lowest in this story, Lois, uh, Sh- Shah- Oh my God. Shahandri. I, I'm it's like that. It's like Chandahari. Yeah. Uh, she is like, she is the one of the coolest Loises out of a Superman story I've ever seen. She is just the best. Um, Clark is not and not in an angsty, you know, like oh, I wish Tim Burton had directed Nicolas Cage in a Superman movie kind of way. Uh, he's not he's not like angsty like that, but he is kind of kind of constantly like second guessing and, and doubting a lot of what he does and what might be happening around him. And to have her be like a constant positive reassurance to him. That's actually that's kind of refreshing, and I'm not saying to have Lois reduced to simply that, uh, because they do make a very very solid point of saying like she is autonomous, like she she is a very smart, capable, and successful individual. Uh, she's been she's an interior, she's a designer, and she's actually like coming up and getting noted for the things she's been doing uh, in the city, and she starts getting written up in huge magazines and she becomes, you know, very, very famous and successful. And that's away from, from Clark's own uh, success that he finds as an author uh, for, for books. You know, he, he, he has deals that he signs and the guy just ends up, you know, doing, doing what he loves uh, for, as for a living. Uh, and, and as you said, you know, earlier, the Superman thing is just, it's uh, it, that's the secret. He, he keeps that to the side, and um, no one's the wiser. Or so he thinks. <laughs> now, one, one thing we haven't talked about uh, so far is uh, the work of Kurt Busiek. And um, I, I'm sure Brandon's read this. I'm not sure if Leo's read this, but have you read the story Marvels, Leo? No. So Marvel's like the eye. Um, there's a sequel to Marvel's The Eye of the Camera, but the narrative style of this book is very analogous to that because you have sort of the reporter 
you know, who is um, going and he's he's commenting on all like these people that he sees like, oh, look, it's a man with wings flying in the sky. It's a Spider-Man. It's the Fantastic Four. And it's all through like um, what's his name? Phil Sheldon, I think is his name, the reporter. And, um, you know, he's reporting on all of these things and talking about them. And and it's kind of a story. This is set up very similar to that with the narration from Clark himself kind of going through and he's not telling the story of like all these great things. It's, it's more internal where he's telling like his, his story. So it's, it's kind of a similar format. And um, I, I was, I was just thinking of that and I'm like, geez, what does this sound like? I'm like, that's right. It sounds like Marvel's. I'm like, that's right. Busiek wrote Marvel's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, was that a uh, Alex Ross? Yes. It was. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I haven't read it. It's on my list though. That, uh, that came out actually before kingdom come, which mm-hmm. uh, I know you enjoy very much. Nope. So, um, that, that was out that, and that was, uh, the beginning of their starting to work together. And then, um, as Brandon had talked about in our previous episode, um, Astro city is where they collaborated on oh. Alex Ross had done literally, I think all the covers. He's from, done like, every single cover. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'm at least in the first two series. I, I don't know if he's still doing stuff. Oh yeah, no, he, he still is. Is he yeah. really? Wow, yeah. that's yep. awesome. Yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I went through. I mean, I had I had been reading Astro City, you know, as much as I could, like during high school and, and what have you, because it's been going on for a long time, uh, Astro City. But um, I I couldn't get all the books when I was younger because I mean, there's a lot of them. And no, uh, I mean. You, you just can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, now that I'm an adult, I fucking did. <laughs> and uh, I went through and read every single one of them in the correct order. Um, I had to reference a lot of different points. And I have to say, it was amazing. And Kurt Busiek, he just he gets to the crux of what these heroes are. Uh, I, I mean, I think, I think so far in what we've seen, he understands what makes Superman as a character tick. The fact that he can take and and just, you know, supplant, you know, the idea of DC Comics Superman with this real world instance. Uh, And there's so many things that's still recognizable uh, away from, you know, what we would think of as like, oh, yeah, the story beats just, you know, the 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 connections, the development of 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 Clark as he goes through this journey like that's. That's something that sticks with the character, I think, through every well, every good iteration at, at any rate. Uh, and he he has a love, I think, very clearly for uh, a lot of the Silver Age and Golden Age stuff, and um, that that shines through primarily in his work. Uh, not so much in this because he's doing like a modern a modern take on on everything here. Uh, but if you do check out Marvels and Astro City. You will see that play through, especially because he let he gets a chance to kind of dip his toes into the different eras of Marvel uh, throughout the years with with Marvels. Uh, but then Astro City, he just takes every single character and trope in uh, in a very loving and positive way, embraces them and creates new characters that are still somewhat recognizable that populate the entirety of Astro City, the, the titular city uh, within that comic. And it is divine. Uh, I love that book. And if you if you just love superhero stories, I highly, highly recommend it. There is something there for everyone. 
You, if, you, if you don't have to read every single one of them either. You're more of a Batman guy? Oh, then you're going to love the Dark Ages. <laughs> like, it's it's as close to Batman as you're going to get in Astro City. It's a, it's a priest who fights crime at night wearing a full-on black costume with a cape. Why does he do that? Oh, because he's also a vampire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they yeah, made like, an action figure of some of those guys too, I believe. Yeah, a few of them. I... I, yeah. I I I'm, I'll never get them. <laughs> like, yeah, it find them. Good luck to you. I, I was just thinking about something else about Superman that's a little different. This this story doesn't have any villains in it, right? So no Lex Luthor, no Metallo, anything else like that. So you still have a, a Superman story where he's a character that is not defined by his villains, as opposed to like maybe like a Batman character might be someone more like that. But Superman is defined by the good deeds that he does. So it's it's kind of interesting in that aspect because when you boil the character down to everything, he's still saving the day, even though he's not stopping like the psycho bank robber with like the death ray. You know, he's just like, oh, this um, this plane fell, so I I saved it. You know. Yeah, people need help, so I'm going to help them. Mm-hmm. So I took the um, the government as the uh, the main bad guy, which I mean, obviously they are, but it's just you know with him still trying to save people and just have that, that always looming over him. You know, it, it's like, it took place almost in every other panel, you know, just, you know, um, just impeding on what he can do. Yeah. It's not really. He's still part of that system too. Like he's still got a social security number. He's still a U.S. citizen and all that. So it's like, he is part of the government and he's fighting the government too. So it's it's kind of like there's there's that dichotomy where it's like, you know, um, wh- what do you do? You know, <laughs> only thing you could do is really be careful and watch your step. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I mean, he's he's going through doing his his uh, superhero Robin Hood thing, you know, and just trying to help as many people as possible. And what's really disheartening uh, for both him, uh, well, for him, Lois, and us, the readers, is to see that he's not done anything that has harmed anyone. He's done nothing but help. Obviously all of the moves he's made have been totally and completely altruistic. He hasn't had to do any of the things he's done, but the government keeps coming at him as if he were the enemy, not a potential enemy, the enemy. And there's, there's nothing other than the fact that he's powerful that warrants them doing that. Um, and that I think is one of the more frightening aspects for, for him is, is because like, you know, how, how is this sustainable? You know, if, if they're going to, if they're going to, you know, nab me and study me, what did they learn? And what does that mean for the future? Like, am I, I'm fast and I'm strong and I'm pretty sure I can take them, but what if I can't? And that to me is actually a little bit of a refreshing breath for Superman because, you don't really get that from the character very often. Uh, you know, his concerns for himself are usually very minimal uh, regarding uh, any sort of uh, pain and abduction, anything like that. He's just basically, you know, our Superman, DC Superman is usually just like, oh, goodness, I hope there's no uh, red sun radiation or uh, kryptonite or magic because those will leave me powerless and or kill me. But if those things aren't present, ha <laughs> I'll be in there quicker than you can say, Bob's your uncle. You know, that's not the Superman. He's like, I'm I'm using my strength and speed to the best of my ability to help as many people as possible. 
But also, I'm pretty sure that these dudes, if they really, really wanted to, could fuck me up. And uh, I like that. You know, it it, it it strikes a little bit of a, an old school, like, Siegel Schuster Superman, where, you know, champion, champion of the oppressed, uh, and, like, nothing less than a bursting shell can penetrate his skin. Uh, and that's very much the case here. But if you have, like, a high enough electro shock, clearly it'll knock him on his ass. Uh, that's that's a big deal. That's I mean, even Fleischer touched a little bit upon that. Yep. You know, um, and it finally just gets to the point where you know Clark has has just had enough. He's he hates living his life like that. Like he's grown accustomed to being able to do his thing, but he doesn't want himself or anybody else hurt because the government is just you know playing with other people's lives and safety and trying to like kind of trick him again. So he shows up when they send a signal to him and, well, try to get his attention with a signal. And um, he, he says to him, like, you know, I want to I want to I want to talk with you. Let's let's like come out, come up with some kind of compromise. And they're like, oh, yeah, here's a compromise. Uh, how about go fuck yourself? And then they, they attack him. <laughs> Sarge, he's running. <laughs> Sarge, he's running. Should I? Should it's I coming shoot, right for us. Should I shoot the invulnerable man, Sarge? That sounds like a good plan to me. Do it. But you, um, you left out the most important reason—the reason that he's feeling more vulnerable than ever. Yeah. Right. So he gets a card that he thinks is like a ha-ha joke because it says um, something along the lines of, um, "Oh, the Superman family can't wait to meet you." We'll and then see, um, we'll, we'll see you soon. Yeah, we'll see you soon. And and it's a circumstance where he's like, yeah, I got your card, Lois. Real funny. You know, uh, and she's like, yeah, that well, was, that, the that Superman right there, family right. is going to see you right soon. There. We will see you soon. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what? You're going to be a dad, dude. You know, yeah. <laughs> she's like, you, you're, you, you've, you've won numerous book awards and you, like you see things that nobody else does. And I send you a card that says family and fucking we in it. And you, you still haven't put like two and two together. Genius. Like why? <laughs> he's st- and he's still like, why? <laughs> like, and ultimately knowing that, and that's like the ultimate vulnerable moment for him. That's why he decides to go off and meet with them. And they're so obvious of a trap, you know, at, at like Hoover Dam or something like that. So, um, and he doesn't even know that Megatron is buried in there. I mean, what the hell? So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but um, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like you have these good little moments that are built in there where he's like he's talking to her and um, you know he's like just kind of thinking he's like oh you know she's pregnant what happens if if this and that and I should really kind of bury the hatchet with the U.S. government so and that's that's kind of what leads him to that decision just that ultimate ultimate feeling of like oh man I need to get these I need to get these guys either you know off my back or on my side yeah. Okay, so I have a question. I hope it's about how she said he was cooking a steak and they clearly show a hamburger. I hope it's that question. <laughs> it was a steak burger. Get off her back. <sighs> what is this little pip, pip, pip? That is a, uh, he, it's, uh, blah, 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 blah. I believe it is some kind of recording device that the government has placed there. He mentions, um, he mentions devices like that a couple different times uh, throughout the, you know, the story uh, like oh yeah no i was going to see do this and i noticed that the government government you know they had laid these out so i burned them out with my heat vision from like, yeah. <laughs> a mile away before i even got there um so yeah it was it was probably something they were trying to record like biometrics or some some happy horse shit 
uh, whatever advantage they could get to try to at least make themselves feel better. <laughs> like bare bones, like base level. That's really what that was about. Like, let's make ourselves feel better. Can we kill him? We think so. Ah, good. You get some <laughs> touches of Superman versus the elite and Manchester black in this one too. You know, like with, with the whole thing where he's, he's knocking out um, electrical equipment with like telescopic vision and stuff and heat vision from like miles off and from like, like low orbit. You're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He could, he could lobotomize you with a look. Or he can give you the world's worst migraine, you know, so you can't concentrate. <laughs> that was kind of a fun little little thing I was thinking of. Yeah, no, it it, it the, it's really cool how his powers work in this because there doesn't he they even make mention of it where he's he's just kind of like I don't I don't know how this how this operates <laughs> like this is yeah. weird. Like I shouldn't be able to hear this as we are. I shouldn't be able to hear these things. Like there's no way the sound could travel this far. <laughs> like. It makes sense when you think about it, but he doesn't go too far into, you know, investigating it. He's just like, whatever, I have the powers. I'm not I'm not concerned. <laughs> He's not a scientist, you know? And I, I mean, like, Clark Kent yeah. in the DC universe has that inquisitive nature of a reporter and, you know, of a scientist. I mean, he wanted to be a geologist originally, I thought. Some, like, something, like, he ended up doing that, you know, in, in, um, in other Elseworlds. Oh, oh, yeah, that was uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, right? He ends up being a geologist. I think so, so. So he has that sort of inquisitiveness about him, and he's constantly doing experiments at the uh, Fortress of Solitude, you know, on like Kryptonian things. And he's like, "Oh, today we're studying, um, you know, uh, this sort of thing." I've always had an interest in rocks, so it's like, all right, okay, Clark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cal. I mean, Cal. That, yeah. that that I mean, that does go all the way back to like the Silver Age too. I mean, Superman mm -hmm. was always trying to, you know, he was always doing experiments back at the Fortress of Solitude. That's actually how. Like Superman Red, Superman Blue, another famous or infamous um, imaginary oh, tale came out. And I'm not talking about the 90s. Yeah. I'm talking about the Silver Age. Like Superman takes like several different types of kryptonite and stra straps them to his fucking head and then steps into a machine he devised. He's like, this should cure me of my weakness to kryptonite or some such bullshit. That's and clearly the plot to the fly. So <laughs> yeah, and then he activates the machine, and it instead separates him into Superman Red and Superman Blue. Uh, one's costume is completely blue, uh, cape, boots, under underoos, uh, and except for the S, which is still the same color, and then the other one is red, same thing. Uh, and one ends up with Lois Lane, one ends up with Lana Lang. Uh, he, he, uh, the one that ends up with Lois, they take Comet the super horse because Comet is not Kryptonian. He is powered by magic. So they had created a new Krypton in a, in a system with a red sun. And he, he and Lois fly Comet all the way out to new Krypton to start a family and have a normal life. And the other one stays on earth with Lana and has all kinds of super babies. Uh, Guys, how but, do you think a uh, flying horse survives re-entry? It, you don't have to it, 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 have very answer. carefully. It, it's the same flying horses from Star Wars. Star Wars. I was thinking Rainbow Bright, but okay. But oh then God. again, they just kind of ran out of. No, I mean uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith or whatever the last stupid one was. Didn't they? <laughs> didn't they have space horses. 
They had space horses. I feel like this is the wrong show. For that answer and many others, check out Throwdown Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) You can check out uh, Patsy the Angry Nerd uh, (laughs) and ask him him about uh, Star Wars space horses. He would be happy to answer that. (laughs) I have Uh, no clue, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure the last movie had space horses. Better rebuild? I don't (laughs) think. <laughs> they're, they're, they're they're riding horses on like a star destroyer. Oh, 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 oh! That was uh, not Revenge of the Sith. That was uh, was it, was it the Last Skywalker? Last Skywalker. Yeah, the, yeah. The last movie that came out. Yeah. Well, didn't that one? That's the one that had. Um, oh no, that that was it. it didn't crash, did it? So I, I thought that was the one where it had crashed in the ocean or something. But no, you're right. It was clearly in the air. I like how you combined the the last two movie titles, The Last Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> Rise of the Skywalker. Yeah. The, the Last Skywalker. What's your name, Ray? Ray what? Ray Star Wars. <laughs> Ray Donovan. <laughs> Showtime. <laughs> Ray Oh, light. Oh, boo. <laughs> Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> that would have been a great no- ending. I ain't afraid of no force ghosts. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Ray Parker uh, Jr. is the best. <laughs> so anyway, back to Superman. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> what, 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 I, I had something I was going to say about it. Uh, uh, I'll get there. I'll get there. That's that's where you made your mistake, sir. <laughs> uh, I forgot. What the hell were we talking about? Well, I was chewing scenery. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I went into Superman Red, Superman Blue. Yeah, uh, I said something about Comet the Super Horse, and you. Well, like, they had uh, gone off to form their own new Krypton, and uh, yeah. what what did the other Superman do? Just stay on Earth? Yeah, I said he stayed on Earth and married Lana, and they had all all kinds of super babies, a lot of a lot of redheaded super babies that all had their own tiny little like Superman costumes too. Yeah. Oh, I was uh, gonna mention about the the powers because he he does touch on it a little bit uh, i i know you mentioned he doesn't say uh you know they don't find out why um but there was mention of of uh possibly a meteorite or something like that but he was saying at one point and correct me if i'm wrong uh wondering about you know maybe other people had powers but like they could run fast because that's what they were they were doing maybe his manifested to superman powers because of his name the because of what everybody, you know, pokes fun of him. Yeah, because it was always in his head. Yeah, yeah. it uh, seems more like a Mark Wade story. Well, I mean that that <laughs> it is touched upon because uh, it's when he's breaking out of the facility that they had him contained in. He hears snippets of what they're saying to one another, and when uh, what some of the stuff he hears is, you know, like oh, he was uh, how you know however old, but when the meteorites hit, oh, when the meteors hit. And uh, like, oh, the strongest manifest manifestation to date, and uh, you know, when he heard these things, like strongest to date, what the, you know, what the hell? And that's when he starts thinking, like, maybe, maybe I did this, maybe whatever the, they're talking about, and I like willed myself into having Superman's powers because of exposure, or whatever they're talking about. And then he just kind of leaves it because he's like, uh, I don't, I don't know if I want to pick at that scab right now. I kind of have bigger fish to fry. Which uh, I, I give him points for prioritizing. It didn't feel, it honestly didn't feel like um, Kurt Busiek was like dangling something in front of us. It, it, it made sense because this Superman is not someone that has like, a, you know, a, a lot of 
scientific high tech scientific shit in a fortress of solitude and he he can just like figure all this out with with just a little bit of time like no he's actually trying to hide himself at the same time as maybe learning a little bit and uh you know he can't expose himself to the to the degree that would be necessary to to get to the the crux of what it is those folks were, were speaking about so i i think and wisely so uh, he takes the approach of I'll oh, stay as far the fuck away from those folks as possible, and he's not he's not interested in that. I mean, he's not a narcissist or anything. He just he genuinely doesn't really care about this stuff. His his interest is like you said with his priorities: keep my family safe, keep my family safe. You know, um, I, I'm I am surprised that we didn't hear him say anything like, "Oh, geez, I hope I'm not like irradiating Lois or anything like that." But well, you know, he, um, I mean, he he does mention early as a as a child, like as a kid when he first gets the powers, he does say like, "And just so you know, yeah, X-ray vision does work on the girls' locker room." Yes, but I stopped that real quick because it doesn't hurt anybody in the comic books, but I have no idea that what that would do to somebody in the real world. And I feel like that was still kind of going through his mind regularly, especially later on when Lois is pregnant with the twins. Um, Cause she's like, are you looking at the babies right now with your x-ray vision? And his reaction is like, what, how could you think I would do that? And I just, I feel like it's because he's even said to her, like, I think x-ray vision might, might hurt people, <laughs> you know? And that's the, he's like, no, I would never <laughs> like, well, you also though have him going up to space frequently. You know, there's like a yeah, him like sitting on the moon. You know, or or um, and there's we know there's radiation in space, so we don't know what you know if he's bringing anything back. He literally passes through the Van Allen radiation belt, so you know up, up past the ionosphere and all of that. So I mean, that's that's a little geekier than this show probably deserves. So I apologize, no, no. but uh, <laughs> you're right. You know. He comes down and, and then she's uh, she's Susan Storm. So she's invisible <laughs> because she's irradiated and has caught on fire. So <laughs> everybody's invisible when you lose your eyesight from cosmic radiation. Yeah, Alicia Masters. <laughs> I'm the puppet master. I'm over here. I'm the puppet master. <laughs> I like I like that now Alicia Masters has made it into uh, both of our episodes. So <laughs> and the Fantastic Four too. Cool. She's she's awesome. <laughs> so I mean, she's probably one of the coolest people in Fantastic Four because, uh, I don't, you know, regardless. Her and Willie Lumpkin. I mean, <laughs> Willie Lumpkin. Jesus, man, <laughs> fucking deep cuts up in this bitch. <laughs> oh, uh, I do love that uh, his daughters. Um, they the sense of humor skipped <laughs> the generation that he is, <laughs> and his uh, his twin daughters have done nothing but mercilessly tease him about being named Clark Kent ever since they figured out that Clark Kent is Superman and he hates it. <laughs> and the mom is totally uh, facilitating this too. Oh yeah. She adores it because like her name is just Lois, but he's Clark Kent and, uh, and Superman. So, <laughs> and they, they touch on uh, something interesting here too. Uh, we see that he's getting older. So, and, um, we see that there's kind of a dip in his power set where he's like, Oh yeah, years ago I'd be able to do this. No problem. But uh, now lifting this 10 ton boulder, you know, it takes a little bit of effort. Yeah. I could juggle like 10 of these mm -hmm. like a, like a couple of years ago. And now like this one, I'm like, Aah! you know, and it's uh for him, he's, he's kind of got to start coming to grips with the fact that, you know, he's, he's getting older. He's probably losing a step. And, um, 
his his whole approach when he says to Lois, he's like, you know, I'm I have superpowers, like I should have years left with these things. And Lois is like, How do you know that? <laughs> these nobody else has powers. What are you comparing this to? Like, how long would superpowers last? Do you get them forever? And he doesn't have an answer. Like, there's there's no response because he honestly doesn't know. Uh, and neither do we. Uh, it, it is kind of funny, though, because he does have some knowledge of Superman from all the years of exposure due to the, the nature of his name. And he goes into space and flies close to the sun in order to have an un, unfettered and unfiltered access to its radiation, and to which he says, I got a hell of a winter tan where people kept asking me if I went to Bermuda uh, and also no increase in my powers whatsoever. So that, it actually was kinda, hilarious. <laughs> it kind of shows you, though, that the powers came from uh, some other external source and solar radiation, yellow sun radiation has absolutely nothing to do with the process. Ah, beautiful shot. Yeah, more of that scenery and just uh, that's that's the big constant in here. Just, um, man, he must have had so much fun looking for different locations to just render. Because, I mean, even like the cityscapes and the wilderness and all that, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool in, in a story like this, too, where, uh, you know, Clark and Lois, they, they built a, a small house in Maine, uh, and that's to act as sort of their fortress of solitude. And he takes the idea from the old Superboy comics uh, of hollowing out a tree and um, actually having it go down into the ocean, like through the ground and everything, a tunnel. Uh, and he actually swims through the ocean all the way down from Maine to Boston Harbor and comes up there just so they always think that he's, he's uh, like headquartered in Boston. So for the purposes of this story, Boston is Metropolis. And uh, I think that's, as a Boston kid, that, that just tickles me something fierce. But uh, I think it's great mostly because of the fact that Kurt Busiek is from Boston. And he did that because growing up as a kid reading these books, he always kind of wanted, he always pictured these areas a certain way. And he, he clearly saw Metropolis and Boston being the same. Uh, I it probably probably looking at like, I don't know, New York city or something as, as being Gotham. I don't know, but uh, it, it was just, it was just really cool to see like the real world touch um, and to actually see like some of the iconic buildings in that, that metropolitan area, like the Prudential building when he's coming up from the water. Um, but yeah, he, he and Lois, they've, they've been spending their time uh, building, building their family and, and just living their lives, taking care of their careers and their girls uh, while in Maine. And uh, they, he starts, he and Lois both start testing the girls to make sure that they don't or do have superpowers. And you see, you see them giving them all kinds of weird, like lift tests and like, like packing bowling balls into suitcases like can you move that honey and like the five-year-old this is heavy and uh after after doing it for a while they're like yeah all right our kids don't have powers let's just let's just leave them alone and uh they they're just normal healthy you know smart kids and they just leave it at that and that's enough for for lois and clark which why wouldn't it be um and you know they they just continue to do their thing and um, his his partnership that he is formed with uh, the government can is uh, continues, and even though he's losing steps, 
And then he gets to Australia. This is Australia. <laughs> oh, this was what you're talking about. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge freak tornado in Australia. And uh, he was like, oh, boy, this is a this is a this is quite the twister. And he was about to get it all squared away. As far as he was concerned, he's like, you know, I'm going to kind of gear up for this, but I'm going to do it. And just as he's getting ready to go, all of a sudden, it's something this blurs around the, the tornado and it stops. And he's like, what the hell is this? And he strains his eyesight and he thinks he might see a couple of couple of specks. But then he uses his hearing to the farthest of its of its reach. And he he's pretty sure he hears laughter, the laughter of two young women and his eyes go wide. And he's just like, no. And he comes home and he's basically, you know, off screen says to Lois what he's thinking. Uh, I think that our girls have superpowers and they might have stopped the tornado I showed up to take care of today. And her reaction is very reasonably. What? <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they, you know, Clark finds himself in a very uh, particular situation, something that uh, he never had to really, his parents never had to worry about. Um you know, probably because he was an aloof kid anyway. But uh, did they start that tornado, or did they just stop it? They stopped that it. The, that was the part I was squinting because it was a little hard to see, and I was I was looking. I'm like, was it them playing that did that? Like I, I wasn't sure how it started. No, no, no. It was a freak tornado. Okay, um, straight up. But what it is, it was it was massive, and you know, Clark was getting ready to do it, and they showed up, and of course. You know, they're pretty strong, but together, especially like, you know, working as a team in tandem, we were able to disperse it with uh, very little difficulty very quickly. And of course, that, you know, left Clark a little bit in the lurch and also, you know, learning that his his kids also share his abilities. Um, but then he and Lois, you know, have to have an earnest conversation like, hey, do <laughs> do we do we confront them about this? And um, Clark's approach was right. It's funny because. I will say the Lois in this story does remind me very much of Lois Lane from Superman, where I feel like Lois Lane would be like, oh, no, fuck that. We are confronting them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a story. It's a story. She's not a reporter in this, you know? Yeah. And uh, but I just I love it. Like she's just she's just a concerned mom. And that's completely reasonable. You know, just like, no, we are confronting them. We are. We are. We are. Oh, right. Asking them about this. And Clark was like, "Nah, I don't I don't think that's right. I think we need to we need to let them like come to us. If if we do it the other way, they they might resent us. So nah, we'll wait. Yeah, but I, her her concerns were valid, you know, because uh, you know, bringing up to government again, you know, just uh, she says, uh, you know, you've had to worry about government, and they don't even know about it. Oh yeah, I'm not saying her her concerns weren't valid. Oh, uh, and, and uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that either. It's just you can say it. It's it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the government's not going to get you guys. <laughs> or will they? Uh, but, no, I know I, that. I mean, her concerns are totally valid, but I think, and this would probably be enraging if you were like Lois married to Clark, but Clark was probably playing a little cooler too because he has those powers and he's just like, listen, they're, they're a team. <laughs> they have these abilities. They'll probably be okay, but we got to let them do this. You know, Part of it, not that not that he would necessarily think in those terms, but part of it is like, you know, he he dealt with all that, and you know, he knows how bad it can be. But on the other side of it, 
he knows and they don't necessarily know that he knows, that doesn't mean that he's not going to like keep an ear out or, or keep an eye out. So there's a little bit more to it. You, you got to think of how leery he's been over the years. I don't think he would just automatically be like, ah, oh, government's fine. I don't even worry about him. Don't sweat it. No, I, I think he, I think he was very, very mindful of it. Um, but it, it's more to the point that he, he was looking at what Lois wanted to do as trying to control what the, the girls wanted to do. And that wasn't going to be good for anybody. And I, I think it was ultimately the right move to let them be and get comfortable to the point or, you know, they have, they have their reveal and then, you know, an actual warm conversation about the whole thing as opposed to accusations and, you know, uh, reprimandations. And this is one of the defining moments of the book too, where it's, you talk about like a true what if or else world circumstance. I don't know of another writer that I can think of, maybe with the exception of Mark Wade or something like that, that would have come to this decision in their sort of writing. Like when you have someone where they're just like, oh, we're going to let them come to us. That's passive. That's not something ha that happens in a comic book where you're waiting to see the next dramatic moment that's going to torture this person into taking some sort of action and all that. You don't see passive decisions like that in comic books. And I thought that was so interesting because it was just it's it's never done. It's never been done. And that was the big what if. It's like, what if Clark Kent had this issue? Would he react this way? The normal DC protective mode. This one's kind of aloof. It's a totally different character. And it really oh, a good. DC regular one. Did you catch all that? No. No, we were losing you. You were cutting Oh. Okay. Anyway, I was just saying that it's a defining character characteristic of this Clark, which really d makes him different from the regular DC Clark, because the regular DC Clark would not take this stance. This was like a total what if moment where, you know, in this story, uh, this Clark is going to say, well, let's let them come to us. And I've never seen that really done before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about letting the story progress as opposed to making the character do something. Uh, there's, there's a subtle difference. And I think that subtlety was played to perfection in, in this book. Um, and, and more to the point, uh, because of what we know of Superman from, from regular comics and all the other different variations and so on and so forth have, with Superman, Clark Kent and Lois Lane being together. You know, you have your your Jonathan Kent or your, the show Superman and Lois where it's Jonathan and Jordan who are twins, much like these the girls are in this. Um, but to have it have Lois um, be of uh, South Asian descent and the girls be, uh, you know, uh, South Asian and whatever the hell Clark was white. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they, they are literally of, of two diff different cultures and they've, they've inherited their father's abilities um, to, to have them continue on and show that there seems to be like a building of a legacy in that moment when he, he finally sees them grabbing the train that he showed up to save himself. Uh, that, that is, is huge. Um, not just for the book, but like the, the history that the, the story would purport to put forth from uh, what we see as, as the final portions of it all together. Uh, it's just, it's just really cool to, to see this guy, who at this up until this point 
he felt so estranged just from everybody constantly as a kid and then learned that, you know, I should be social because it, it's important to keep that human connection, but then actually finding someone to be with and share to a point what he can actually do. And that, that works. Like I said, to a point, his actual kids, they, they can do what he does. He can literally just share that world with them and that's not anything he's ever ever been able to do before and the not just elation of such a thing but the relief that they were going to be okay all of that combines to, to just make a, a much more well-rounded uh and and quite frankly understandable superman because strip away the powers and everything it really boils down to like a father and mother who were worried about what the world would be like for their kids and what their kids would be like in the world and as they develop it gets to the point where they see for themselves what their kids are actually capable of and it turns out they had nothing to worry about from the from the word go that's that's a very relatable thing across the board i think yeah and a lot of that's about trust and that's um, that's not something that is easily given from a parent. It's something that's earned. And the fact that he gave them that opportunity to earn it says a lot about his character. Yeah. And and that was, the, I think, the point he was really trying to drive home to Lois when her, her gut reaction was, make them tell us. You know? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. No, no. It's a secret identity for a reason, Lois. But yeah. And uh, – What's what's interesting here in the in the last portions of the story, I, I thought was was very cool. Uh, as I had mentioned earlier, Clark has been our narrator for this entire story, and we know early on he says like I like using my typewriter, uh, and that's what the narration has has been. Uh, it, it looks like typeface, and uh, it looks like kind of ripped pages um, that it's been typed on. And now that we have a, an older Clark, uh, you know, a, a sextagenarian with with grown daughters, one of whom has has kids, and you know, he, he's a he's a grandpa Superman, uh, beard and white hair, and all of a sudden the narration goes from this uh, yellow sort of college ruled lined uh, paper with with typing on it to uh, the the soft mint green glow of what you would consider to be like a computer screen and very very like neat uh, mechanic typeface and uh, he's just like yep I had to start using a computer because uh, nobody fucking makes typewriter ribbon anymore <laughs> and uh, I'm not doing it myself because who has the time and um, it's it's just it's it's also interesting to note that like by typing all those years and keeping those journals to, for himself like that he was able to keep it from being infiltrated electronically if somebody was trying to like go through his stuff mm -hmm. uh and with this world that he is in now as an older man uh we see that um it's not just you know his you know his powers have been decreasing a bit and of course uh we we knew that to be the case even when he was middle-aged but now both daughters are, uh, you know, full-fledged, like, super women. Uh, and one of their kids, uh, who they, they, the one who had kids, named her kids uh, Perry, Clark, and Jimmy. And he still is just like, I am so sick of the fucking Kent sense of humor. Like, even in the last few days, like, I can't believe that she did that to her kids. Um, her oldest though, Perry also has the same powers and 
you can actually see the four of them flying out together. It looks like Perry may have more of like a red suit uh, with like like blue bottom, uh, but it's uh, it's it's really cool to see like the variations of it. And then uh, Stuart Amonin just he like goes for broke um, even in even in these last couple of pages. I mean he starts he starts off with his style for the entire book, and then he starts switching from uh, the 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 pixelated dotted you know four color classic look um for for the panels in the story this as clark is reminiscing to um going to a, a more like 70s to 80s look with the the same like dot four color thing and then goes full on uh bruce tim paul dini animated series just to kind of show the different ways that these characters could be perceived or, or be presented and um you know it's interesting to see this old superman up there with his family and how he's just so proud of not just who they have become but the world what the world has become because they are not the only ones that have these abilities and more and more people came forth and everything's changing and hopefully it's for the best it's it's for the better um and here we have we have you know old superman in an insulated suit up in the stratosphere because he still gets a little chilly now <laughs> and um he's thinking to himself like you know maybe maybe all the stuff i was looking at for all those years could be my like my last book you know maybe i did all that all that investigating and research for a reason and I can write about like superhumanity and, and what that means for tomorrow and also leave my family's names completely friggin' out of it. Um, and it's just interesting to think that we can, we can see him as like sort of the progenitor for all of this. Um, and at the end of it, when he's ready to kind of stop being Superman and his family is taking over that legacy, he's still going to have a unique perspective that he can contribute and show the world what it was like to go through all of that to start before superhumanity even became a thing. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, one of the big things about Superman and DC comics too, is he is, he is uh, always looked at as like the standard and, and the first and that's clearly what would happen with the same exact Clark Kent character in, in this prime earth. Um, and he, he finishes up looking at a sunset as he's done several times throughout the, the course of the book. And, um, you know, the one thing he knows for sure is, um, you know, he's, he's going to go home and the sun will come up again tomorrow and, and everything will hopefully still be, still be going well. And that's really the, the hopeful note you want a, a Superman story to end on. Uh, and, I think altogether what Kurt Busiek and, and Stuart Amonin did here was, was take um, a very phenomenal character and story and try to say very realistically, you know, like what if someone had these abilities in our world? And I'm always amazed by questions like that when it comes to Superman, because I've long purported that Superman as a, as an existing character, he is per almost personified a what if uh and that what if is you know what if a good person had these abilities not just a person but what if a good person had these abilities and um i think we're you know in insofar as this world they're very lucky that that clark kent was also a good person uh 
as he reminded them too. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said earlier, everything he was doing was altruistic and saved people and helped people. What's the point of trying to stop that other than to simply control that thing, you know? Um, but it's, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite Superman stories. Um, probably, I mean, partially because yeah, you do need to know the character of Superman for sure. Uh, but it's, it'd be nice to think that in our world, if something like this were to happen, it would be something akin to this story. This is, this is, I think an ideal situation like 2021, a guy named Clark Kent ends up with Superman's powers. I, you know what? I, I want this guy. I want this Clark Kent then. Because uh, the alternative is absolutely fucking horrifying. Yeah, that's when you end up with your Homelander, your Omni-Man, or um, the Plutonian. You know, any of the other analogs, the Miracle Man, Marvel Man, whatever you want to call them. You know, yeah. all of those horror stories that have uh, played off, even to another uh, lesser extent, you end up with a Dr. Manhattan sort of character where it's like even the best of uh, intentions, you know, seem to uh, pave the, the road to hell there. So, yeah. And, and, and that's, I think, one of, the, one of the good things about this story, too, is it, it didn't really find him in uh, any sort of uh, moral quandary. There was there was no hint of um, this being a, a Superman who who didn't who who didn't care about this or didn't didn't give a shit about that. It's like no no, he cared very much about helping people. Like so much to the point that he went out on his own uh, and tried to keep the government from fucking with his life just because of it. And there's one thing too I, I will say about the story that uh, it's interesting to note is we always think of Superman as is uh, operating uh, bright and sunshiny, but Clark in this story did everything at night, um, it, which makes the suit um, seem less. You know, we, we, I mentioned and we, we had brought it up like not a lot of garishness with this. Having a lot of his adventures take place at night so we can stay covered and concealed and, and uh, really strain uh, credulity if people did see him. Uh, you know, it, it plays down those colors uh, when when you have when you have just the the stark light of of the moon being the only thing that that really lights him up, and he stays away from from like metropolitan areas. You don't get clear views of him. It it really kind of drives drives home this whole like this this is a, this is a fucking dude in like a store bought Superman costume, you know. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, the fact that it really is just a full on disguise and that, that it's, it's there to, it's there to fulfill the same function as Clark Kent's glasses in DC comics. You know, it, I, I find, I find all of it very interesting how, how it was spun around and, uh, there's clearly uh, no shortage of love for these characters from, from the artist and writer of, of the story. Now, um, do you guys think that the uh, the film that came out, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, pulled any thoughts or any ideas from this particular story itself? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, is there anything that, that sticks out to you? Well, the fact that he's from a world that doesn't have Spider-Man other than Spider-Man's in the comics. So he's aware of who he is and all that. And he has that sort of advanced knowledge. Then he goes off and tries to figure out his powers and all that. It seems like there's a little bit of like an analogous sort of uh, way there. 
you know, of course, there's no multiverse where there's like another Superman coming to show him, you know, the way or anything like that. But I, I do feel like there's those aspects where he was pulling from that literature in the comics and he kind of had a head start on on being able to figure stuff out because of that. I saw a little a little bit of that. Well, also, those comics were based off of the actual Spider-Man from that universe. It, it yeah. was. It was uh, oh, that's true, I guess, because he was yeah, in the one that was the Chris Pine Spider-Man, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. didn't Spider-Man die in that universe? Yeah. Yeah. He, he was killed by uh, the yeah. Goblin there in Kingpin. Yeah, and and then Miles was eventually, you know. Yeah. Maybe I'm reading too much into it then, but yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. Okay. I, I just like that. I just like that. You know, he had to become a superhero then to start reading comics to get ideas, which is pretty interesting. Well, I mean, even even that isn't like within uh, this story or um, Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse or anything like that. That I mean, you can go back to um, the the Flash in the '80s uh, and what have you, because Barry Allen they they had done the whole thing where. Uh, well, actually, for a little further back in the 80s, but, um, you know, Barry Allen, they changed the whole thing to he became the Flash after getting his speed. He called himself the Flash because he was a fan of the comic books featuring the Flash, Jay Garrick, uh, from when he was a kid. Because Barry Allen wasn't just like a, a person that fought crime in his regular life <laughs> as, you know, as a CSI but was also a huge comic book nerd and he only he he put on the costume he changed the way it looked only because he didn't want uh the comic book publisher to come after him with a lawsuit <laughs> he really wanted to wear the same costume that his hero wore in the comic books but he's like oh, i got to change it and maybe cover my face a little bit that way they don't they don't like come at me uh so like I like the idea of of like superheroes having been like comic book geeks to start with, um, in the fact that you can play with like legacy in in tandem with that. That's that's cool. Um, but yeah, the this right here with with Superman and Secret Identity, uh, he does have a little bit of a leg up, but not as much as you would think. Because some of the things that he knows from the comics have absolutely no bearing on anything either. Like his powers started to like he started to lose a step. So he's like, I'll just go, I'll just go hang out by the sun. Uh, didn't quite work out the way he wanted to, <laughs> you know. He, um, you know, he he has he has nothing to really guide him in the pitfalls of like what can and can't hurt him. Uh, and if he were to go strictly on the comic books, he would think like, oh god, I have to like find a piece of Kryptonian metal to either like bounce my heat ray vision off of or somehow sharpen so it can actually like cut the hair on my my face so i can shave uh nope <laughs> he can shave in a haircut two bits you know it's is, is that what he does because i i had seen it before where he uses his um his heat vision or something to take care of it but that's well, I, that's actually more efficient to do it with like a piece of uh like kryptonian metal or something yeah there's there's two there's two uh there's two different well a few different ways but yeah, I had said like the the piece of uh, you know use the C ray vision that he could either use a mirror with a C ray vision, which honestly like the intensity that would be needed and the thinness of the beam, yeah. it would it would burn through the mirror. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely. what he would need a, a piece of uh, like metal from his his rocket, uh, so that way he could bounce off that because it would it would be a lot more durable and what it wouldn't melt quite so easily. Uh, but also he could somehow um, use like a 
there was like I think a thing in the past where he would um either I think it was use just a straight up piece of metal from from the ship because it was sharp enough and just just use that to shave. Um, I, I, people sometimes get Hancock confused with Superman. Like, no, he does not use his fucking fingernails to get the goddamn scr- you know stubble off his face. That is that is insane. <laughs> but uh, like, I think that movie gets a lot of bad a lot of bad juice, but you know, there's some good parts to it. No, 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 but what I'm saying is like, you can't use your fingernails to do that. Even if you were that strong, because your fingernails and your hair are the same, like you wouldn't be able to do it with yourself. That's like a diamond cutting a diamond. Exactly. Like it doesn't make sense. You'd need an external source, but, uh, but yeah, like there's, there's different things that, you know, he could have, he could have looked at me like, Oh man, I probably have to do that. It's like, no, no, you don't. You don't have to do that at all. Don't worry about it, dude. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's uh, it, like I said, it's a really fun and really poignant story. Uh, very self-contained. Uh, I, I, I just, I, I'm a big fan of the finite stuff anyway. So the fact that this had a very straightforward beginning, middle, and end. Oh, I love it. You just love closure. <laughs> I do. I fucking do, man. We it's we didn't hear life. from Leo on this. Leo, what do you think of the ending? Uh, just now reading it. <laughs> yes, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's it's uh, you know having him looking back at his own mortality. I, I was just waiting for like a tombstone to show up from Lois, but uh, I'm oh glad, yeah yeah I, I'm glad they didn't go that route. Yeah, uh, but you know that that does raise the question: is how long will he live? And I love it. They go to the Back to Future route with the flying cars. You know. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, I love it how it's definitely showing the growth and the birth of superheroes because they're, they're showing, you know, in one scene, uh, superheroes are, are more prevalent. Um, you know, I, I think they say due to science and medicine and technology. Um, His daughter's dating one. Yep. And, and she has they- awful taste in men, by the way, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? If they're not just a straight up piece of shit, then they're just a suck ass motherfucker. <laughs> hey, Mr. Kent, I really love the book that you wrote that we used in my class. All right, kid. <laughs> Beat it, Chad, or whatever your name is. <laughs> Beat yeah. it, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the overall story, I it, it was just phenomenal. Absolutely love it. And, and it's the ultimate question, you know, uh, what would you do with su- superpowers, you know? Uh, and, you know, even in the beginning, you know, it's he's not asking for guidance, but he's hearing everybody around him saying, oh, I, you know, I'd go to the NBA and or uh, or become a superstar or whatnot, you know, and but he doesn't go that route. You know, he, he chooses to do good instead of, uh, you know, just uh, do for himself. Yep, And I think that's uh, tantamount to the character of Superman altogether uh it's it's one of those things like i said it, it translates from iteration to iteration it, so long as it's a good story um you know it, it, it i mean even that hap- that character trait is in this story that character trait is in superman man of steel by john byrne it's in superman secret origins by jeff johns it's in superman birthright by mark wade it's in jeez um oh my god just so many different like the, the really good ones like that's that's the sticking point is that he he just he wants to do the right thing to help people 
And if, if you can't get that part right, I mean, Frank Miller got that right in Superman Year <laughs> One. Frank yep. fucking Miller, okay? If Frank Miller can do that, then anybody should be able to. Yeah, he's he's definitely not a guy you you want to give the keys to the kingdom for Superman. So you're like, all right, Frank, I'm giving you the car, but you, you got to be careful backing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 be careful because there's a mailbox over there. Okay, I got it. And then you're just amazed. You're like, oh, God, he listened. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's <laughs> For real. How many Nazis can I put in the book? Frank, we're we're no Nazis. This is not that type of book. Seven? No, not seven, Frank. Zero. Zero Nazis. I'll come up with something. So the the name of the group is going to be Zero Nazis. Okay, so. Gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's important to, to hit upon, like, certain things in you know, there's there's a lot to be said um, for looking at certain characters, especially in this day and age. You know, we're 2021, um, where it's really easy to to uh, take a look at characters like this and you know look at alternate reality stories like we're doing and and go to opposite extremes. Uh, you know, I can understand how it'd be really tempting to to say, oh, Superman. All right, what what if? You know, we look at Superman who, who you know, snapped when he, like, we, we went, like, Injustice Superman. That's really easy to do. Uh, but I think right now it's actually, it's more important to focus on, like, good guys and gals. Like, the, the people that do the things for others, not because it serves them, but because it serves the world. It serves the greater community of humankind. And there's not enough of that in stories that we're seeing being made today. Um, and when it does hit, I think it, it hits extra hard because of the fact uh, there's been a startling lack of, of that kind of storytelling. Um, I think, I think those, those hit harder than most people would like to admit. And to just see a character who is overwhelmingly good and especially in in a story like this where he's good but not corny, he's not hokey, he's not cheesy. Um, it doesn't strain believability. And I know we're talking about somebody with superpowers or anything, but I think most people can relate to the idea of trying to help other people to the best of your ability. And when your abilities are the best, like Superman, in this story or any other, then it's not even, you know, to take a line from Spider-Man, it's not even about having the power. It's, it's the power causing you to be responsible with it. You know, you, with great power must also come great responsibility. He said it. He said it. He said it. Yeah. And I, <laughs> fucking, said the thing. And I fucking said it right, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right, everyone listening. It's with great power must also come great responsibility it's not with great power comes great responsibility that's a sam raimi fucking sony line all right <laughs> jesus but uh but i mean it, that he made a lot of money i mean <laughs> oh did it maybe he gets to rewrite the line at that point so <laughs> but uh you know it, it's it's refreshing um to to get new takes on on stuff like this um and it's all the more effective to to be able to relate it to to just ourselves and these guys did a great job with that in the confines of the story. Um, Clark Kent from Pickettsville, Kansas, was a, I think, very relatable character. I, I think, especially for, for uh, us comic book dorks altogether, 
um, there's been probably numerous instances throughout our lives where, you know, we've felt like, you know, a little removed, a little on the outside of things. You know, I, I like to think that's a universal thing. Everyone probably has felt like that at least once. But we've, we've probably dealt with it more than a couple of times. And um, to see the main character of a story like this um, go through that same stuff, but still end up becoming effectively Superman and no, no hint of, of that, that inner turmoil, like, oh man, it's just going to take one bad day kind of shit for him, uh, present. And it really makes that ending hit home where, you know, oh shoot, like Superman, Superman is, is old. He is not going to live forever. And it may not very well be a villain that kills him. It may may actually be like a heart attack in his sleep. Who knows? And after everything we saw in the story, you know what? He he earned that. And we we saw what we needed to, we learned what we needed to from this character in this alternate take. And it's that story, it ends for us and with us there. We also know that it's going to continue on. And that's the thing that he takes comfort in. And we should we need to be okay with that at the end too. And I, I am. Super satisfying ending. A- absolutely. And and that's not something that you can say often. You know, in um I mean with, with comics that are usually just like, all right, and here picks up the next arc, and here picks up the next story, and here's the next character that's introduced. This is beginning to end soup to nuts, and it's just a satisfying story all around. I'm really glad that you picked this one. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad that both of you guys enjoyed it. Uh, it, it's, it's one that not a lot of people know about really. And, um, that usually causes a combination of, uh, rage and sadness inside of me because I, I, I love it so much. And, um, I, you know, DC comics, they, they clearly there, somebody had an affinity for this story as well, because they re-released it, um, years later as a, a two-parter, um, 100 page spectacular, uh, so yeah, and that's probably how, how you guys both read it. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, and I thought that was great when, when it came out, cause I was like, oh my God, like it's, it's, it's price effective and it's, it's, uh, more digestible because you don't have to worry about getting four issues of this thing. It's one and one and that's it. Uh, and it was, they were doing this like 100 page spectacular thing for a little bit. And, um, it, I don't know if they just stopped because it didn't catch on or what have you, but I was like super excited when I saw it on the shelf and uh, I saw the manager at my local comic book store. That's uh, that's new England comics uh, for anybody in the new England area. Um, and I said to the manager, I was like, Nate, Oh my God, look what they did. He was like, yeah, yeah we'll see if it sells. <laughs> He's like, yeah, Superman, you know, whatever. He ain't been the greatest. Lady. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, it's Superman. So who fucking knows? And I'm like, was this pre new 52? This, this one, uh, yes. Because yeah. it looked like they still they had that sort of logo, and then it like transferred over. So th- so we're looking at this came out pre two thousand eleven. So yeah, that's good. It, it's right. a good book, man. I mean, it's it's satisfying, and it's like I said, it's it's very close in feeling to the Marvels and uh, like Marvel, and and then the sequel. And um, if anybody is interested, if they have not checked it out, there's a fully scripted Marvels podcast that is out on. Um, on I know I listened to it on iTunes, but it was also on like, uh, what's that one? Stitcher, you know, um, they did the Wolverine, the long night and, uh, the other Wolverine after that, but they did another one with the Marvels, which was pretty cool. Well, that's very cool. Very cool. Um, but yeah, if, if, uh, 
also, I mean, just generally, if, if anybody is interested in this, uh, you, you can find it uh, any number of places uh, online. You can probably, yep. you know, you know what? We'll probably put a link in the show notes. Oh yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, Cause I think it's, I think it's well worth, uh, you know, checking out. It's not a very expensive book. Um, they, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't huge. Like, I mean, physically it wasn't huge to begin with. Uh, so the fact that they were able to condense it themselves even before they collected it again shows just how cost effective they were trying to make it. So if you buy it, uh, like, for example, if you buy it online, like on digitally, like Comixology, it's it's like nine bucks, you know, for a four for a four issue um, miniseries. Uh, so but I highly recommend too, especially if you you are trying to contrast and compare. If you're not as familiar with Superman, uh, you can check out, um, and I've made mention of a couple of these things already, but you can check out uh, John Burns' The Man of Steel from 1986. Uh, they collected the first six issues uh, from when he revamped Superman after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, even before that, if you just want to get an idea of who Superboy Prime is, uh, check out DC Comics Presents number 87. Uh, that is the first appearance of Superboy Prime, and you might find a little bit of a parallel between that story and what we just covered. Uh, and I also recommend um, Birthright, Superman Birthright by Mark Wade. Uh, pretty much anything Mark Wade writes is brilliant. Anyway, uh, you will definitely be doing yourself a favor by checking that out. Uh, also, Superman Secret Origins by Jeff Johns, and um, I love that. Yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, Jeff Johns did a great job with taking elements from the Silver Age and combining them with the Modern Age. Uh, but that, uh, in but that does not mean Birthright should be discounted either, because there's a lot of great ideas from both of those stories. Uh, if you can amalgamate a lot of the stuff between the two of them, you would probably have the perfect Superman concept. Uh, I would also recommend, um, just as like a standalone, give you a sense of the character of Superman. Um, depends on you, you know, whether or not you like the style. I don't mind it, um, but Superman for All Seasons by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. I know that Tim Sale's artwork isn't exactly for everyone, um, but I think it works for the type of story they're telling here, um, as opposed to like The Long Halloween, which I also love. Uh, I also love that, that story, and it's a follow-up sequel, Dark Victory. Uh, and then last but not least, and, and, and I know this might be problematic for some people, and I'm not saying it to be so, uh, but it was written, and he did show uh, an understanding and an affinity for the character. Max Landis, uh, the screenwriter and director, wrote a miniseries called Superman American Alien that covers um, the early days of Clark kind of trying to it, figure it, out who he's going to be. It's like you're reading my mind. <laughs> I've never heard of that one. Is, is he related to John Landis? <laughs> Yes, he's his son. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, he wrote. Um, he wrote. Uh, oh my God, what's the one? With, uh, Chronicle. He wrote Chronicle. That's um, a cool movie, man. Yeah, that's the movie that gave us. Um, uh, what's his name? Well, Michael no, that's B. not the other one. Yeah, uh, Michael B. Jordan. So I, I was thinking Hardball was actually the one that gave us him. But yeah, that's the one after that. We're kind of like, who is this guy? Yeah. Um. It's uh. He yeah. He wrote Chronicle. He um. He also he actually did a very funny video like on YouTube where he actually explains the whole death and return of Superman, because um, he was he was into it as a kid and uh, he actually gets a bunch of people to like kind of play the parts but in like fucking cheap ass costumes like 
he has one of the guys from the whitest kids you know dressed up as green lantern for like when coast city and shit goes down in the story was um, he was he the guy that just passed away no no it was um i want to say it was like craig or something or maybe his last name is Craiger or something but uh yeah, um, it's just a lot of people involved. But yeah, Max Landis, he, he he's had some some problems with, uh, you know, some accusations made, um, Me Too movement stuff, um, and that that stuff should definitely be taken seriously. And I am not I am not saying like he should be given a pass, nothing like that. I'm just saying Superman stories. You know, oh, well, I got him backstage, man. I, oh, on, geez, I gotta, oh no, <laughs> Max, it's a no, it's a no go. It's a hard no, Maxwell. Sorry, uh, uh, but you know, aside, aside aside from those, um, you know, there's the you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say pick up just like any friggin' book because a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what this character is, and the point of this was to show what the core of that character is, like who Superman and Clark Kent are, um, all the things I just named. Uh, they work very well with those same ideas and themes. Um, if you if you want to as well, you can check out Superman Year One by Frank Miller. Uh, as we had mentioned earlier, it was surprising how well Frank Miller did with it. Uh, John Romita Jr. does the pencils for it. It looks great. Um, it's got like a little bit of a classic Superman look to it because he's got the smaller S, so it it evokes the this uh, uh, Siegel and Schuster stuff. And even a little bit of like Fleischer because it's got like the black background, uh, the black field on the S. Uh, but when when the right people are working on these characters and they they take it seriously and they actually might even show a deeper affinity and affection for them than you may have thought possible, <laughs> Frank Miller. Um, it, it really it really adds something special to the legacy in in continuing stories of of this character. Uh, and that's not just for Superman. That's that's across the board. That's for any long-standing character. You know, when when someone does that for Spider-Man, or Batman, or the Incredible Hulk, uh, you know, when someone takes care and and crafts a story because it's not that they you know had had to tell it because they were forced to. It's they needed to. And for Kurt Busiek, this story was one that he had wanted to tell that he had needed to tell since he was a teenager. He rolled this around for numerous years, and he actually kept it under his hat that he was trying to make a Superboy Prime story until right before the story was being made. So it, it just it just goes to show you, like, especially if, if you're young and, and you might be listening to this, and also if you're young and listening to this, please do not listen to this out loud around your parents. They will fucking murder <laughs> us. Um, well, I mean, they may improve their vocabulary. <laughs> but... <laughs> that's true yeah hey mom you want to hear all the swear words i learned uh, <laughs> what's a narrator <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh <laughs> but it, it, the, you know a good takeaway is you know if you if you enjoy writing you enjoy stories and characters yeah. like this or just writing in general in 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 drawing illustrating anything like that and you're younger um the ideas that you have now don't forget them write them down Put an outline down. Hold on to it. Keep rolling it over. Revise and, and, and edit it to the point where you're comfortable and you feel that you can you can say to someone like, "Hey, this is the idea I have," because if you say it out loud at that point, even if it's not fully fleshed out, there might be something there that somebody else that you didn't expect is going to say, "Yeah, I think we should do that." 
Because that's exactly what happened with Kurt Busiek in this story. He, he had been holding on to this for decades. And in a conversation, he said, you know, I was kind of thinking, like, what if we did a story like this? And somebody, you know, the, the I can't remember which editor it was. They were just like, what? Yeah, write an outline. I want to pitch on this. <laughs> and it threw him for a loop. He's like, oh, sh- oh shit, I have to write a pitch for this now. Probably and- Dan uh, DiDio. Uh, at that time at that time i believe so because he was yeah he was the man yeah Dan, i believe so are you sure it wasn't levitt still i'm pretty sure because this is this would have been right before everything started with new 52 and i mean he had been from previous to that i think um blackest night like like that sort of era brightest day and if you look uh, at the cover of this this has that same logo as as brightest day so it's like that point on, that was all him. No shit. Yeah. Well, Blows the mind. That. Now, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up. Okay. So this came out from January to April in 2004. It's uh, quite possible because you, you think about what else was happening at that age to, or at that time. You're, you're looking at Batman Hush, you know, which was maybe just right before this in 2003, 2004-ish. So, or maybe 2002, but it's still like right in that area. And they had started like drawing the line at 299 and all that. So, but welcome to the history of the DC Comics pu- publishing universe, guys. So, but um, this is <laughs> when we get into all of that stuff. Every uh, no, gimmick that no, they did. He, he was promoted later that year. Oh, okay. October 2004. So, you were right on the year. So close. All right. But at that point in time, it was probably still Levitt's. Um, but I don't doubt that DiDio actually had, uh, you know, an affection for uh, Elseworld type stories. Because I do think that that's, I, honest to God, I, I'm uh, like, we'll, we're going to wrap it up here in a minute. But I'm just, I just want to say, uh, DC put the kibosh on, uh, you know, a huge thing that was going to happen. They were calling it like 5G and, then it became generations and then they said, Oh, you know, and we'll just make it like a kind of one-off thing and became like future state and all that shit. Uh, but it was supposed to all be about like legacy and moving forward. I had been tweeting and messaging DC comics for years, <laughs> years saying the same thing every time. Hey, you know, it would be a great idea if you started a line, not, not just a story, but like you guys could do a whole separate like universe that actually covers the legacy of these characters as if Superman debuted in 1938 and Batman debuted in 1939 and it all progressed naturally. You could just have it based in the same exact world that John Byrne set up in his Elseworlds generations. And I never received a fucking response, not a single (laughs) like, not a retweet, not a, not a, Oh, well, we'll see. Well, you know, great idea, Brandon, nothing, no, no, no tweets back, no no emails, nothing. And then they announced 5G, and I was like, what the fuck is this 5G thing? And they're like, oh, it's going to be all about the legacy and how they continue on. And, like, we're actually going to have characters age and blah, blah, blah. I was like, you motherfuckers. Every last one of you, I'm going to – god damn, did they move They move DC? To, they, they went to the West Coast? Great, great. Dara, my, my wife Dara. Dara, I have to, I have to do it. I, I, I fucking knew it. I'm going to have to fucking fly the plane and burn dc comics to the fucking ground like i was so it's okay bullshit. like they'll just rebirth again <laughs> yeah. but, it'll be know, another reboot but then then you know <laughs> apparently they didn't like what D- uh, Dio was trying to get everybody to do which sucks because like a lot of the artists and writers throughout that they all seemed fairly excited like 
they were talking up a lot about what they were doing and i saw some of the design work they were they were onto, and it was interesting to say the least bit um but man like it just goes to show you the power of of uh these alternate stories um we'll be seeing more and more as we go on uh on on both sides of this from from dc and marvel uh how these stories that have been around for a long time where it was seemingly far-fetched at certain points when they came out uh maybe not quite so much now and they may actually be the same story fodder that's informed some of the bigger storylines that we've seen in the past 20 years or so mm. so we'll we'll be we'll be touching upon that as as we move forward so you know keep your eyes and ears open kids cool can't wait to see what you guys do next indeed <laughs> me me neither um but that being said uh thank you everyone for joining us uh while we uh dissected and discussed uh superman's secret identity from uh dc comics written by Kurt Busiek and uh illustrated by Stuart Imonen uh this was a lot of fun for us I'm I'm glad that that uh Justin and Leo you you guys enjoyed it uh you you, you clearly saw why I suggested it uh and I hope all of you out there uh, understand why we decided to talk about this tonight as well and uh you know if you have any questions uh you know we're we're here <laughs> you can you can uh, go right ahead and comment on just about anything um you can I don't know I I guess you could find us in the future at comicsparadox yeah. <laughs> at gmail.com <laughs> yeah you can say comicsparadox <laughs> at gmail.com or uh you could you could also hit me up at um oh geez what is it Com- uh, powers combined fb at gmail.com <laughs> yeah there you go yeah you can do that too in an alternate uh, world we've already set it up yes <laughs> i actually do have that set up so oh, do, okay good. Do, yeah powers combined <laughs> fb at, at uh, gmail.com uh but yeah and also uh any suggestions for for stories that's that's fine by me too, you know. Um, That'd be great. There's lots of stuff out there, and uh, you know, we're three we're three fucking nerds that know a, a lot about uh, a lot, but we don't know everything. So if you know if you know of anything that might fit right into this, sh- shut it on out. We 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 would love it, you know. Just just engage us, man, because uh, I don't have anything else going on. <laughs> Uh, but no, uh, like I said, thank you everyone for, for checking us out. And, uh, we, we really look forward to, uh, coming back in a couple of weeks. We will be, uh, we'll be covering, uh, a what if I'm not going to say what it is now. Uh, I don't want to spoil the surprise, uh, but it's, uh, it's not going to be as lengthy as this. So don't worry. You don't have to set aside, <laughs> you don't have to set aside a 12th of a day to check it out. Uh, but, um, I, I think it will be a lot of fun. Um, it, it's not going to be very weighty, uh, and, and it's going to be something that you, we really haven't seen much of in, uh, a lot of other comics. So, uh, just, just strap in and ride the G's. Uh, so, yep, this is, <laughs> this has been, uh, Comics Paradox. Uh, Justin, do you, do you have anything that you would like to say before we sign out? Just, uh, I, I think we were talking about where you can find this book and I think you can find it on comiXology to actually like purchase it online. And I would always recommend to pay for your purchases. That's what I would say for, uh, for comics. Yes, please, please pay for your comics. Like I said, this is only like nine bucks on comiXology.com. That's digital. Uh, you may be hard pressed to find a physical because it, it's been several years since it was released. I think, the last collection of it was in 2013. So, well, you can always visit your local comic shop as well to see if they have. Absolutely. Yeah, oh yes. yes, Great point, Leo. Yeah, uh, no, for sure. Like, visit visit your local. 
um, you know, search around if you enjoy the hunt. Uh, that's, I mean, I've done that. That was one of that was one of my favorite things in the world was hunting down Elseworlds. Um, but it, it is accessible. It's it's around. Um, but just do yourself a favor. Uh, get a good quality copy of it, um, whether or not that's physical or digital, and pay the money for it. Please do not pirate comics. It's the same thing as pirating movies. The more you do it, the more you hurt the industry. And if you like comics and you want them to stick around and not cost, you know, $15 an issue, you pay the money that they that they charge now. That's simple. Um, and Leo, Leo Pond. Yeah. You, you got anything you want to say? Uh, yeah, just follow these awesome dudes. Uh, there's links in the show notes up above or down below, depending on where you're watching or listening to us. Uh, and, uh, for me, just Google Leo Pond, but I run a little thing called the Dorkening Podcast Network, which almost 40 shows on the network. So a lot of awesome people doing a lot of awesome stuff. So go check them out and, uh, you know, subscribe to some, uh, podcasts, you know, listen up, watch a lot of our shows are doing video as well on Facebook and the YouTubes. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Outstanding. All right. Well, everyone have a great night and we will see you in a couple weeks. Okay. Bye. Bye now.